Uh, one of the themes that kept just kind of playing in my head as they sang that last song too, which I love, was just, I'm redeemed. Uh, we learned last week in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's what he does, he's in the business of redeeming. Uh, he loves to purchase and, and, uh, and buy through his perfect son's life and death a people uh, for himself. And uh, so we all find our worth and, and value there. Uh, that we're redeemed by him. So uh, praise God that you've been redeemed by him, that we have been, those of us who have leaned into Christ and trusted him and, and thrown ourselves on his mercy and his sufficient work, that we're, we're purchased by him. And uh, we're gonna look at what that means really as a church this morning. So uh, go to Acts chapter one. What we do uh, normally here is we love to just walk through uh, books of the Bible, teach through passages of scripture. And we usually take uh, books to do that so we see the fullness of what God is trying to say in the scriptures to us as his people. And uh, so what we've been doing though for the last four weeks has been taking just a short brief break where we can begin to look at just what God has called us to do as a people as his local church and so this is a little bit different it's not necessarily walking through books of the Bible but but looking at kind of these four distinctives that make us uh, church at Bergen and so um, this morning here's what we're going to do we, we've been talking a lot the last four weeks about why God establishes his church now not just the universal church but the local church the people flushed out who gather in local assemblies that make Make up in its entirety the universal church that Christ is the ultimate head of. And so here is the statement at Church at Bergen that, that we believe is why the church exists. We believe this is what the scriptures teach. So what we did was just kind of looked at the Bible and said, okay, what does the Bible say is the, is the ethos, is the heartbeat of the church of Jesus Christ? And here is what we saw it as. It's this, that we exist, number one, to bring glory to God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ locally and then globally. So, so here, if you haven't been here, you, you really need to listen to the last three weeks to land on what will hit today. But uh, we believe first and foremost that God made all things, not just so that you and I would be happy, not just so that we'd be saved or lost, but for the praise and renown of his name. So we believe everything that God made that exists is so he'd be glorified. You can look throughout the scriptures to see this. And so we believe that God is not about really making a lot of you or making you a big deal, but making a big deal of himself working through you. Okay, and that's how we see the Christian life, so that Christ is seen, Christ is worshiped, Christ is exemplified, and then what we see is as we bring glory to God, that happens by the edict Jesus gave in Matthew 28, which was to go into all nations and make disciples, make learning followers of Jesus Christ, teach people to observe who he is and to abide in him and walk with him and continue to enjoy all that he is and all that he has done, and all of this happens. We make disciples that bring great glory and worship to God happens through the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Nothing else does it, okay? So we don't think these cute phrases, chants, or other type of philosophies are gonna do what needs to happen for the broken human heart that's alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, right? We need a reconciliation to happen. We need a redemption to happen. We need a purchasing to happen. We need a substitute to go and step in our place and be a champion for us who is Jesus who will say, hey, I'll take his sin. I'll become his sin for him. I'll take the wrath of God that's toward you in your sin. I'll, I'll absorb all of that. I'll take the righteous life that you desperately need. I'll live it for you and I'll be your exact substitute. Give you my life. Take your sin. You can walk blameless, holy, and above reproach before God because you're in Christ. That's good news. Right, so we've been saying that's, that's the greatest news in the history of the universe. That's the greatest news in the scriptures that they teach that we can be made right with a holy, infinite God. So all this happens through that gospel. We talked about that last week. Now, 
what the last part we're just going to look at this morning for just a, a short amount of time is this idea of locally and globally, that we want to see disciples made through the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings glory to God locally in our immediate sphere of influence and then reverberates out globally. Okay, that's what we see in the scriptures. So this morning, we're going to kind of tie the bow on this, and that's, that's our heart's desire. So here, here is just my hope and prayer this morning. It's very simple. Um, my hope and prayer is that our eyes would be wide open to the reality that God ordained and established this to happen primarily through his church. Okay, he, he established his church, and not just universal church, but local church. Okay, the gathered people of God that gather in assemblies, under elders, as members in covenant community that walk together and grow together and live life together. Okay, that we desire to see this happen through his church, and that's what God's mission is. So go to Acts chapter 1. Here Jesus is talking to the apostles, and he's laying out for them really how he plans on accomplishing the Great Commission in Matthew 28, okay, which we read two weeks ago. And so uh, here's what he says in Acts chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 4. And while they were staying with them, this is the apostles, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, this is all the believers, about 120 people. You'll see that later in Acts 2, Acts 3. So Christianity is not a big deal uh, at this point. It will be in a minute. Um, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so Jesus comes up to the apostles, to the believers and says, I know I just gave you a weighty job description. Okay? I know it's huge. I know it's big. You're, gonna, you're called to go make learning disciples of me. You're going to teach them all I've taught you to observe and, and commanded you to be. Okay, and you're, This is going to reverberate to the ends of the earth. I know, I know that's a big deal. So guess what? Hold on because there's something that's going to happen that's going to enable you to do this. You're going to need power. Right? Not, you're not going to need self-sufficiency. You're going to need a, another divine power, which is my Holy Spirit, that is going to indwell the church and be used through the church to accomplish this. Okay, so it's not going to happen through you. It's going to happen through me by using you. Right? We're just vessels, right? We're just empty vessels that are used as his way to get this accomplished. And so he shows that this is going to be an ever-expanding movement. Where it's going to continue to grow, it's going to continue to reverberate to all the nations. And so Jesus is making something very clear. Jesus is showing us here that his mission will be accomplished by his power through his people with his message. That's how he's going to do it. That's how he's always planned to do it. Okay, that is the plan of God. And so here's the crazy thing. What happens in the rest of Acts? <laughs> they start establishing cute clubs and organizations and powwows. No, they start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and birthing and establishing new churches, right? So you'll see this happen continuously through the book of Acts. So Acts 2 comes, and, and there's the first Christian sermon at Pentecost, and 3,000 people trust in Jesus Christ. Great first church service, right? I mean, that would be amazing to see. And then we have it continuing to where there's community happening. In Acts 2 and 3, you have deacons by Acts 6. You have one of our first martyrs by Acts 8, Stephen. Then you have a terrorist named Saul who's transformed by Jesus in Acts 9, and he, God saves him and gives him a new name, Paul. And then he starts an ever-expanding church 
church planting movement that reverberates really to right now as you're sitting in Mawa, New Jersey, opening your Bible. Incredible. So we're recipients of faithful men planting churches, preaching the gospel, and sending more people to birth more churches. And that's how it's always meant to be. And that's what God will continue to do until the end of it all when he returns and takes us home. And so Jesus' plan for the expansion of his kingdom is making disciples by his gospel through his church. That's how he's always planned for it to happen. And so you'll see language a lot. I love in the Old Testament, right, that, that God's seeking to purchase a people for his own possession. And then you'll see in the New Testament, go make disciples. Well, that's, a, that's the people for his own possession, Right, So you're seeing the same thing happen throughout the scriptures here. And so God is in the mission of people meeting Jesus and then growing in Jesus, right? Learning followers. He's, the goal is more churches birthed and churches maturing as churches. Right? That's what God wants. So um, here, just, just a, a couple reasons. This is just why we believe that it's central uh, to seeing God's mission realized is through praying for the church, the local church, and praying for the establishment of new churches, and praying that God would use his church. Um, because we as a church here believe that the church is central to God's mission and purpose, so we need to be about that. So just, just a few. Uh, number one, um, because Jesus' essential edict in Matthew 28 is to establish churches. Um, here's what's interesting. If you listen to the call of Jesus, right, Matthew 28, he says, go into all the nations, make disciples, and he tells them to do something interesting. He says, baptize them. Why is baptism important? If you read in Acts and, and really the rest of the scriptures, you'll see baptism is not just a sign of belief, but kind of an incorporation into a community of faith where there's accountability, walking, boundaries, and structure. Okay, so, so Jesus is basically saying by, hey, baptize, that the only way to continue walking and be sure of our saving faith is not wandering around isolated somewhere, just kind of trying to figure it out, but it's within the context of a local loving community where there are leaders over you and members alongside you, where there are, are structures for you to grow in grace. So Jesus isn't just saying, hey, wander out there and just start telling people the good news. Part of this call is, Begin gathering in communities. Begin baptizing. Begin identifying with the family of God. Huge. Number two, this was one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived his strategy. Paul, right? For Paul, it was, it was really clear. If you read any parts of his life, it was go to a large city re region, find where lots of crossroads are, where there's a lot of impact, and begin by proclaiming the good news and birthing churches. Um, you'll see in the New Testament, almost every letter he writes is to an established church or a new church. In Romans 15, he'll say, he'll allude to where he, he goes around to all these regions and he preaches the gospel and he plants new churches. And once he did that, he would move on. Amazing. So what compelled Paul? It clearly, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and assembling as a church is fundamental to the furthering of the expansion of the kingdom of God. And then he'd move on. So he knew the rest would follow. He knew if churches could be established, then he was doing what God had commissioned the larger universal church to do. Number three, as we continue to pray for this, that God would use us in this way, that we pray for other churches, as we pray for new churches, you know what it does for us as a family? Uh, it, it brings that really important exercise of kingdom-mindedness to our hearts. 
Um, we live in a culture uh, and society where we're all about ourselves, our kingdom, our sheep, our people, right? So, so here's what this does. You start praying for other local churches that God is sovereignly going to use for his purposes. You start praying for more men and women to go and establish new churches. What does that, what does that do in your heart? It, it breaks you out of that self-centered idolatry and it, and it explodes as God-centered, I'm for the kingdom of God. I'm for the kingdom of the church. Right? We're not about building Church of Bergen's empire. We're about building Christ's empire. Right? So all of a sudden you're, you're four other brothers and sisters. We don't play that weird game where you start pitting churches against churches. All of a sudden, you, you join the mission of God in loving other churches, praying for other churches, praying that out of here, we would see more than beyond these walls. That's what it does for us. You know, I love in Colossians 1, not on the screen, what, what does Jesus say? He says, I'm the head of the church. I just, I just love that statement. You know why I love that statement? Because that means that church at Bergen is not the head of the church. <laughs> that, that the pastors here are not the head of the church. Christ is. So, so there's a unique way that we're going to flush things out. We're going to do certain things, but it's not a, a, the way. It's our way. It's not the way. It's just our way of doing things, the way God has uniquely established and landed us. And so as we do, see discipleship happen, as we train, as we preach and teach, as missions get rolled out, here's why that is so important to remember. Is that we don't fall prey to the lie where somehow we're doing everything better than everybody else. That's sin. Let's just call it what it is. It's arrogance. Sin. And what you start doing is saying, okay, we do it better than them, and so we're now somehow elevated than everybody else. And you forgot, hold on, you're not the head of the church. <laughs> Jesus is the head of the unstoppable, immovable, always pressing forward church of Jesus Christ. So let's be careful what we say and how we think. I'm not saying that people who go outside of orthodoxy we celebrate. I'm talking about there are, hear me, many, hundreds, thousands of Bible-loving, spirit-filled, just empowered by the gospel men and women who love Jesus, who serve in churches all over the state and nation and world. So we extend grace, we love, we walk alongside, we pray for, because this is what Jesus has called us. So listen, if we're trying to sow dissension in that, then you're actually railing against God's very design for the end to come. And so we move in unity and grace because Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, fourth, most important, God's not done. God is not, not finished. Uh, why pray for the establishment of more churches? Why pray for current churches to flourish? Why pray for other churches around our neighborhoods that we see maybe on our way to church in Bergen to grow in grace, to hear the gospel, to love Jesus? Why, why do that? Because God's not done. He hasn't closed up shop yet, right? I mean, it's amazing. You see the same question from the apostles in Acts 1. They're like, okay, how long do we have to keep doing this? And he's like, hey, it's not for you to know that. The Father's fixed that by his own authority. Listen, God and Jesus want us to be much more preoccupied with our laboring than his coming. Okay? He wants to be much more concerned with your going, with your working, with your eyes open to your neighbor than you just, when is he going to come? He wants your eyes to be on being sent and being ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's 
beautiful. I mean, I, I long for the day when Jesus returns. Don't get me wrong, but there's more work to be done. There are more disciples to be made. There are more churches to be birthed and, and churches to grow and churches to establish and churches to mature. That needs to keep happening. Um, I want to turn just down the road to Acts 16 uh, for a minute. Just to, just, I know a lot of us are familiar with this. Uh, a beautiful new church in Philippi. We, we studied this a, a number of months ago as we looked at the book of Philippians. But I just want to quickly read through just to, just to see something beautiful uh, to encourage us as a newer church. In our, uh, coming in our third year, right? We celebrated two years back in April. And God is continuing by his grace to build us up and grow us in him. Um, and just a way to catch you up to speed, in Acts 11, you have the church at Jerusalem that basically helps plant the church in, in Antioch, which is in Syria, okay? And then, and then out of that, in Acts 13, you have them kind of send Paul out on this uh, missionary journey to start establishing more churches. And um, he starts this uh, missionary journey, and here God uses him to plant this church in Philippi. It's up in northern Greece. Uh, when Paul arrives, he's with a guy, Silas, uh, Luke, and, and Timothy, uh, there are no Christians that we know of, uh, no, no churches that we know of. And the first place he goes is this prayer gathering by the water. The reason he goes there is because when the Jews were in exile, just so you know, uh, they used to go find water when they were just weeping over their, them being in exile. They'd find the, the nearest river. And so uh, he's just being a good missionary. He's, he knows where the Jews would be. He knows where to go. He knows where to talk with them. So he goes to a, a riverside gathering. And on verse 13 it says this, On the Sabbath day, we, when we went outside by the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. Uh, she's very wealthy, a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord did this to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, there you go. Okay, baptism happens. The, this gathering in the, the covenant community of faith um, she's baptized her household as well and urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay, first core team members of Church of Philippi. Lydia, I guess, is the host home like the nitties were for us a long time ago. And she said, hey, why don't you guys come in? Why don't you gather? Why don't you start worshiping? Why don't we start doing this thing called the church in my house? Right? She probably had a nice house, probably well-to-do. She was a seller of purple goods, had a lot of money. So this businesswoman who is an executive somewhere says, hey, let's start gathering. Let's start laboring. Let's start making disciples as this church. And then we continue on uh, in verse 16. And as we were going to the place of prayer, this is like probably a week later, they're going back, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Okay, now Lydia and her whole house, Paul and Silas, come across this, this woman who's demon-possessed, and these people are basically making money off of her by selling her and having her do these deeds that are through the wickedness of the enemy. Okay, this is not done by God. This is done by Satan. And what happens is they show up to her, and she realizes that, well, these are, these are people that, that love Jesus, that are part of the church. So uh, the demon in her starts hollering at them and chanting at them and uh, speaking ill will against them. And uh, as she does this, we see it says, the, she says this, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Interesting, right? Even demons know the truth of God, that he is the way to salvation. They'll even use truth to twist and you to buy a lie. And she kept doing this for many days. Can you imagine that, just how annoying that would be? Well, Paul was, so Paul, having become greatly annoyed, shows he's human, I love it, uh, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, their, their God was in money, their God was in wealth, their God was in success. So that was removed. They get angry. They get bitter. 
That's what happens when gods are removed from our hearts that are functional gods outside of Christ. They seize Paul and Silas, drag them into the marketplace before the rulers. So we're not told it becomes of this girl. It's right to assume that she's filled with gratitude. She attaches herself to this team, this new church, right? So you got a wealthy businesswoman, her whole uh, house. They're meeting in Lydia's house. And you got this uh, previously demon-possessed fortune-telling slave girl. So um, naturally there's an uproar from the people. They throw them in prison. And they do this all according to the divine decree of God because he's still got one more person that he wants to bring into this new church before they continue moving on mission. Verse 25 says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. This is in prison. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He's about to kill himself because back then, if you let someone out or someone on your watch was gone, you were basically humiliated and killed in front of everyone. So he thought, I'd rather just die a death right here instead of being humiliated in front of the public. So he's drawn his sword. He's about to kill himself because people are being released by the power of God. And I love this. Supposing the prisoners had escaped, Paul cries with a loud voice, don't harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, what must I do to be saved? Love it. The miracle of God leads to repentance in God, right? Not just to be uh, amazed at his miracle, but, but to see something deeper revealing the sin of your own soul. So he realizes he needs to repent. He realizes he needs salvation. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. I love this. They probably just started preaching the gospel to them, teaching them about his righteous life and his resurrection and how they're not good, how he is, how he alone forgives sin and atones for sin and redeems from sin and reconciles us to God. And they took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds. And what? He was baptized, identifying with the new family of God. And, and going to walk with this new church in Philippi. He and all his family. So the church of Philippi starts with this wealthy businesswoman, this for, former demon-possessed slave girl, a city employee in his whole house. Now, why is this so beautiful? Why is this encouraging for us as we think about the church being the, the avenue, the vehicle that God wants to use to make disciples through his gospel to bring glory to his name? Well, for starters, they're just a whole bunch of random people that would never be doing life together. That's what the church is. It crosses all socioeconomic, cultural boundaries, right? I mean, that, that's the beauty of it. We should look different and function different and live in different places. And he says, hey, you're all one in Christ, right? Your identity, your worth, your values, not in how much you make or what you do or how you work or size your family or you know kids, a lot of kids, adopted, not adopted. No, it's Christ, right, who, who identifies you in this new family. And so I love it. It's just a circus of people. Right, who are learning how to love each other, learning how to walk with each other. I mean, can you imagine the conversations? Lydia, I know how to do it all. I'm an executive. Right? And then you got the jailer. Well, I'm a city employee. I know how the government's run. Right? He's super political. And you got, you know, just the, the little slave girl going, I don't know, just say whatever you want. You know, like, all I know is I was demon-possessed. I'm free, so I'm, I'm happy. Right? You have, you have all these people brought together. We see the beauty of God's church. It, it breaks down cultural divides. You're seeing the edict of Matthew 28 being rolled out right here. That they're forming a covenant community of people, baptizing them, 
identifying with one. Paul is their pastor. Silas is their pastor. Praise God at what we're seeing here. But this is also inspiring and super encouraging to me because God did it all. Verse 14, who opens Lydia's heart? God does. She wasn't clever. She wasn't super talented or smart. God just says, I'm going to let you listen. I'm going to let you hear and discern the things that are spiritual, the things that are unseen by the, the human flesh and the human eye. Right? What happens with the, the demon-possessed slave girl? The name of Jesus delivered her. Not the name of, of Paul or Silas or Luke or Timothy. Jesus delivered her. What, what happens? What, what caused the, the jailer to ask, what must I do to be saved? What, what caused the earthquake? God did. I mean, God's doing it all, right? So there's no boasting from anybody going, hey, well, I, I thought it was a good idea to join the church and join this edict that, that he kind of sent out in Matthew 28. No, God is doing it all. God is graciously saving and rescuing people. So he gets all glory, right? Back to the first part. God has been given glory through all things that happened. You'll see this throughout the scriptures. So I bet you this church of Philippi has great love for the glory of God. They have great love for his providence, great love for his strength, great love for his saving people to himself because they know that he did it. Right? They know that they were weak. They know that they were in need. And, and I love, this is the, the third reason why I think this is so incredibly encouraging for us is that the same power, the same gospel that preserved, created, and sustained the church at Philippi is the same one that sustains, creates, and preserves the church at Bergen. It's the same one. Like, like praise God that, that you're a part of something that is promised to never fail. I mean, Jesus said, right, Matthew 16, I mean, even the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Okay, so, so you're a part of the ever-pressing forward, unconquerable church of Jesus Christ that he's the head of, that he establishes in local communities and appoints elders and establishes community and has baptism and has parameters and accountability and walking and loving, and it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's, it's profound. This is always God's plan A, his church. It's how he wants his ever-expanding witness to grow, his church. You know, regardless of what cultural crisis we're in, regardless of what governmental legislation occurs, none of that stops the church. None of that hinders the church's witness because Christ is the one sustaining it. We're not. Listen, if, if Mike Reed's in charge of sustaining the church, man, we're all done tomorrow, right? I mean, can we all, we all, you're all like, yeah, I know, right? I mean, y'all can readily agree with that, right? I mean, listen, we're, Jesus is the one sustaining it. We're just, we're just privileged to be a part of it. That we get to interact in this thing. That we get to walk in this thing. That we get to be a part of this thing is just unbelievable. Go back to Acts 1.8 as we kind of land the plane here. Look at what Jesus says here. He rolls out what this looks like. This movement of the church. Acts 1. Jesus says, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, than the ends of the earth. Here's what he's saying. Start locally, then start moving regionally, and then nationally, and then serving globally. You see, it just reverberates out. It 
mission doesn't start across the world. Mission starts in your sphere of influence. Mission starts locally. Mission starts across the street. Here's why I say this. And listen, we love global missions and, and the work of that. But here's what I see a lot of is Christians are so super excited about going to that unreached, weird group of people internationally, and, and you don't want to go across your street. You don't want to go next door. So, so you talk all day long about we should be doing that. But, but hear me. What's his first call to you and to us? Look next door. Look across the street. Look where you work. Look locally. I mean, that's, that's why these churches are established there. They're not established there, so then they just look elsewhere. Now, we are established to look elsewhere by God's grace, absolutely. But listen, we want to do both. We want to be local and global. We want to be serious about people that have not heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ here in Bergen County, the New York City metro area, New York, around this area. We also want to see it regionally around Philadelphia and New York and New England and Pennsylvania. They want to see it nationally. We want to see it in the United States. We want to see it globally. We want both to happen. But let's not forsake either. And let's start and continue to reverberate out as God gives us grace to walk. And I, I just think that this is, a, this is a hard word for us. Because listen, it's very easy to get preoccupied with people you can't see and be with. Then look next door and look across the street. And I think this is why Jesus begins with Jerusalem. Because he knows as we start making local impact, that will begin to reverberate out. Let's be praying for both of these. So this is why, just to give you some insight into what we're doing, this is why uh, we've believed in rooting ourselves strategically in Paramus. That's our Jerusalem, right? Um, we believe it makes sense. We saw how Paul thought and prayed for city centers and, and crossroads. And so we said, yeah, this seems to be sensing where God's moving, where God's calling. So let's walk in faith. Let's see what he does. We want to see many disciples made. It, it seems like it's a melting pot of diversity. Great place to have a church that just looks like heaven and looks like not just one population. Isn't homogeneous? This is why we just began supporting Restoration Church in Philadelphia. That's our Judea, a, a member church in the network. And they've been suffering financially. And they planted their church. They're less than two years old. And, and they're in the fifth largest city in America. And, and it, is, it is radically being taken over by Islam. Uh, that's uh, predominantly getting into the African-American communities. And less than 3% of people actually attend an Orthodox church there. So we said, okay, let, let's start helping and, and giving there. Um, this is why we support ICM, International Care Ministries, in the Philippines. That's our Samaria and ends of the earth. Because we, we've been there. We know the pastor's there. And here's, here's also why we're doing this. Because we know that that kindergarten that we support and pay for is connected to local pastors who are discipling those kids and getting them involved in the church. Because we know the church is the cause for the advancement and ever-expanding nature of the kingdom. This is why we just began giving to the Acts 29 network that we're a part of. Because it is our Samaria to the ends of the earth. They are now one of the largest, most diverse global church planning networks. That they're emerging regions. They're getting in the Middle East. They're getting in India. They're getting in China. Has now doubled in two years. So we're saying, let's give to that. Let's see God do more of that. Let's, because we know they're about planting and birthing churches. And training pastors for that. Praise God for the work that he is doing. In closing, here's what I think we need to remember in, in, in all of this, guys, because 
we're kind of exiting the infancy and, and heading into the, the toddler stage. We, we're now stumbling, right? We're not just kind of uh, figuring out how this works. Now we're all together as a family kind of starting to walk. Pillars are being established. Um, this takes time. This takes time. The building up of his church, the birthing of the church, this takes time. It, it takes years uh, to see God continue to do what he wants to do. Um, we're a young church. <laughs> we praise God for the pillars he started with finally establishing a plurality of elders and, and membership and community and seeing conversions happen, seeing families brought. Praise the Lord for that. Give God great praise for that. Um, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And if you don't think that way, you'll hate it. Just to be real. Because you'll expect things tomorrow that God might in his providence help us hammer out and flush out and do a year from now, two years from now. Now listen, we're not at all about sitting, about sitting back passively waiting. We're not about aggressively forcing things either. So we want to listen to God. We want to pray. We want to see. Where, where is he leading us? Where is he asking us to give? Where is he asking us to go? What is he asking us to do uh, as a people? Uh, and, and we follow him in that. Um, tr- th- being a part of the church is about faithful, day-to-day, giving yourself for the work of his mission. Um, it's plodding. It's plowing. It's persevering. It's not show up and then give up. It's, hey, let's put our hand to the plow. Let, let's work. Let's, let's learn how to love each other. Let's learn how to walk with each other. Let's learn how to grow in grace with each other. I mean, can, I mean imagine what that was like for Philippi. And I tell you all the time, we're a circus. We got people from all different denominations, backgrounds. So yeah, it's a challenge for us, but praise God for that. Because that makes him want to be made seen more beautiful, more glorious. The way that he brings us together through Christ and his gospel, not just our preferences and what we think. Right? Praise God for that. There's beauty seen in the gospel in that. And so we want to continue to walk together as the Holy Spirit empowers us. And listen. Being a part of a new church like this is not just for the pastor. <laughs> it's for the people, right? It's for all of us to learn what this looks like and how we grow together. Um, I want to end just with a mind-blowing thought from Ephesians 3. Um, Ephesians 3 verse 10 says this about the church. and He's, he's talking about the, the universal church, but he's really also sub, sub under this, talking about the local church as he talks to this church in Ephesus. Look at what he says about the church. It should encourage us says, so that through the church. Now, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about God's work of calling the people to himself, of redeeming and rescuing and sealing and saving. He's talking about the, the hostile divides between Jew and Gentile. He's bringing that together. He's bringing diverse people together. He says, okay, all this, all this happens, okay, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly Places. <laughs> okay. Paul says the, a purpose of the church isn't solely so that people are saved or lost, happy or sad, clean or unclean. Another purpose, another benchmark of the church is so that, okay, all authorities, this is, this is all types of ranks of angels, fallen angels and those that worship God. Okay, all types of angels, all types of authorities, right? This text reveals to us that at the end of the day, the church 
also exists, not as a means to an end, okay, but so that the cosmic realms worship God and say, you're so wise, you're so beautiful, I can't believe what you're doing. Okay, here, let, let's, let's get on the ground for a minute with this, okay, because I, I want you to understand what this means for you. Okay, so, so maybe some of you in this room think that, that you're not worth a lot. You don't hold much value. You struggle with that, right? You struggle with, uh, are you of worth? Are you of value? Identity, right? Okay, we know that's all wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus and flushed out in even more so. This is tremendous what he's saying about you if you're a Christian in his church, that the angels are actually looking down and watching you. The way that you rub shoulders with each other, the way that you love your brothers and sisters, the way that you grow in grace, the way that you unify the gospel, and that causes all types of angels to worship God and say, how, how wise is he? I can't believe he created this church. I can't believe he created this living organism called the people of God, bought by Jesus' his son for his own possession. And they just praise him for it. I mean, they, they give God glory and see his goodness in creation, right? They see his justice and mercy. It's seeing the flood. They see the wrath of God and love of God. It's seeing the cross of Jesus Christ. And they see how wise God is as they look at his church. They go, how wise are you? So do you know right now they're watching us? Right now in your seat. The angelic powers. As we go about living life as a community of faith, you know they're watching you? Amazing. And as they watch us by God's grace, may we be a representation that causes them to say, God, how, how wise are you? I can't believe you could throw together such a crazy group of people. They could unify under the head, which is Jesus, and walk in a way that is worthy of their calling in the community of faith, fulfilling, making disciples, and bringing great glory to your name through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How, how infinitely wise are you amazing that that's happening right now just sit in that one this week okay just sit there just just dwell there you're of infinite worth and value because you are redeemed as we heard so beautifully sung and shared by a king who calls you and makes you his own and then lets rulers and authorities in angelic realms go how amazing is god He's so wise. I mean, I know he's all these other things, but look at that. Look at his church. Hallelujah. I'm glad somebody's got, somebody's excited. Let me encourage you this morning with one last thing, just a sidebar. Um, we're talking about the church, the family of God. Uh, many people buy the lie that, that, that the church is made up of people that uh, they are all super clean. They never struggle in sin. Uh, they're all super righteous. So they all gather together and then tell everybody else how righteous they are and, and, and sing about Jesus and somehow like, yeah, he's righteous, but listen, the church is a people that God pursues, God loves, God redeems, and God uses despite you and me. That's what the church is. So if, if, if you've got a background or a history of disappointment, resentment, failure, embarrassment, sin, a broken family environment, abuse, you know, you know, you know Christ wants you? You know, that, you know, those are the people he wants in his church? Oh yeah, you're broken? Yeah, you're aware of your need? Hey, I'm sufficient for that need, so join the party. This is a hospital. 
Okay, so, so come on in and let's just revel in the grace of God, the mercy of God, the wisdom of God, because this is what he's in the business of, flexing his glory in imperfect people and going, yeah, they're needy people, and I, guess what? I'm sufficient for their need. And so we come in and we say, God, you're great. God, you're glorious. Hey, let's make learning disciples, learning followers of this great Jesus who's, who calls weak, feeble people to himself and then says, hey, learn what it's like to walk together now. Learn what it's like to gather together now. Learn, learn what it's like to extend grace to one another now. And that's where it gets real. And then the angels say, God, how wise are you? Let, let's, let's ask him for, for help in that way. Praise God that he brings us into a family where he's the perfect father, the perfect dad, the perfect Savior. Um, and, and I want to do something just a little different right now. I want us just to take a second and pray. Um, you can pray um, to the Lord and, and ask him to grow his church. Um, ask him to continue to grow and breathe gospel health in churches all around this area. Pray that God would continue to establish more churches. Pray that in the years to come that Church of Bergen would see, whether it's a year from now or ten years from now, more churches where men and women love Jesus and want to start new ones. Um, let's just ask him to do that because Jesus said the same thing he says to the apostles he says to us. If you're going to see this happen, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. Let's take a second ask the Holy Spirit to do that, that God might increase his witness through his church. God, might you, you be kind to your church? We know you've been kind in the personal work of your son. We know you've demonstrated that, but God, would you continue to show kindness in the ways that you sustain and preserve your church? God, may we consider being a part of the church precious. Not some club or gathering. Not some function that just occurs on Sunday. God, we, our eyes would be much open to things that are much wider, much more beautiful, and much more glorious going on around us. I think of the words from Charles Spurgeon that he called it the dearest place on earth, your church. That it's a haven, it's a refuge for sinners. That it's a resting place for those who have grown weary with trying to achieve and trying to do and trying to work and try to obtain all the righteousness that only your son could possibly win for us. So thank you for that. God, would you use this church? We're so thankful we're a part of your mission that we are doing what you have asked of your people. God, would we see more local churches established? Might you continue to grow in health? other local churches all around us? Might you preserve them? Might you give them gospel witness? Give them unity of heart? Give them love for one another, grace for one another, encouragement for one another? God, 
thank you for the reminder that the angelic powers are watching us. We're grateful that they give you wisdom and praise for what they see and they don't give us any. God, we thank you for the personal work of Jesus that through your body broken, your blood shed alone, we can be reconciled to God and brought into this new family called the church. I pray that as we observe this Lord's Supper that resembles and, and symbolizes your broken body and shed blood, that we would do it in joy and in gratitude for you purchasing us by your grace to yourself through your Son. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.